And that way you can start operating like a bigger business that's very profitable by not just having everything for everybody as a custom one of a kind, but you're able to tell your customers what they want and you know them better than they know themselves because it's like 80% of our people love this, for example. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we're dedicated to helping product-based business owners turn into revenue-generating, successful, happy product bosses. I'm Jacqueline Snyder. And I'm Mina Kunlosita. Together through digital courses, coaching, and masterminds, we've helped over 50,000 students from startup to multi-million dollar businesses scale their sales while blending in their dream life. It gets lonely out there in the product business world. We fully believe a business shouldn't be built alone. There's room at the top for all of us. So let's get scrappy and creative together, Product Boss, to be profitable, make more sales, and grow your visibility. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey, Product Boss. Now, how amazing would it be if you had an all-in-one CRM that could help you keep everything organized in one place, so that you can execute, automate, and stay focused on your customers. That's exactly what the new HubSpot Sales Hub does. Your data, tools, and team, if you have one, are all visible inside a CRM that keeps your data organized and encourages endless integration. HubSpot Sales Hub provides one single place where you can send emails, answer questions, personalize a customer's experience to increase loyalty, and accomplish everything on your to-do list all in less time. Plus, AI-powered tools like predictive forecasting will help you streamline a ton of manual tasks. This is so needed, especially in your busy time of year, Product Boss. And here, the best part is, it's so easy to use. It gives you a simple and powerful view into every aspect of your business so you can continue to focus on what matters most, your products and your customers. With Sales Hub, closing deals is no big deal. Try the world's smoothest CRM at hubspot.com slash sales. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of The Product Boss. This is Jacqueline and Mina, and we want to dig into sort of, I feel like a pain point for so many of our listeners. Um, We've recently done a poll and we were asking our community and our listeners and those of you on our email list how, like, how do you see yourself? What do you represent as in terms of a business owner? And such a large majority of the response were a lot of you out there see yourself as an artist, a creator of one of a kind and custom products. Now we have everyone else. We've got bakers and food businesses. We have product resellers, manufactured products, people who are direct sellers, um, people who are selling direct to consumer. Now we've got handmade. So there's so many of you, but a lot of you really resonated with that artist, creator, one of a kind and custom product business. But I think what happens is you listen to the podcast, you go through our challenges and you think, great, the advice you're giving works for all these other business owners, but it's not going to work for my custom one of a kind business. And so today we really wanted to dive into how you can grow your custom one of a kind business maybe with a few stories of ones that we've seen actually work and um, yeah, and really help you out on this. Yeah. I think that a lot of people that find us happen to be like Etsy sellers or they're um, they make one of a kind for like 
farmer's markets or they happen to be a knitter or a crocheter or, you know, a... An artist. Yeah, an artist or an illustrator or a, a designer of some sort. And then they're wondering, but how do I grow that? How do I scale that? How do I make that into a business, right? And that it kind of is where you are hitting a wall is what I think. So I think one of the the objections to the way that we teach is, and if you've listened here for any amount of time, you've probably heard us talk about finding your bestseller. And when we say find your, your bestseller, it's finding the product that most people buy. And I think that gets a lot of our one of a kind custom sort of artist type you know, students and community and listeners are like, but how? Because it's custom one of a kind. I I can't have a bestseller because if this one sold, I have no idea what the track record is of it because the next piece I make is totally different. So I think what I want to do is first break down the concept of bestseller in regards to one of a kind custom products and what that looks like. Okay. So I think first off, when we think about this, instead of thinking about the actual product and the actual design and the actual, like, whether it's a wooden sign or a necklace or a piece of art, instead of saying like, oh, it was that one specific piece of art with the girl painted on it in pink. Instead, I want you to think of it as like in a category. So for our jewelry people, do you sell more necklaces? Do you sell more earrings? You sell more bracelets. I think it's looking at the category. If you're an artist, do you sell, um, like, could I do the artist part? Yes. So I think that if you're an artist, you just add one word to the end of bestseller. It is bestseller voice. So in like, if you are an artist and you're thinking about your bestseller and you know, there's, let's say you do paintings or something or, different things. You can go with the category just the same as what Jacqueline said of one of a kind. But I think that when you're thinking of yourself as a business, a business has a brand voice. And when you're an artist, you have an artist voice. And what we're telling you is that figure out what your bestseller is and what that bestseller voice is. So are you really whimsical and fairy tale like Are you, um, I don't know, like rock, rock star? Oh, why are you? Like rocks are like heavy metal grungy. Like <laughs> it's like I didn't even know how to describe it. It was like an old lady version of saying it. Are you um, crass? Are, like- yeah. Are you more crass? Are you bright colors and very um like in your face bright colors? Are you, you know, like there is a certain voice or artistry to whatever your bestsellers are. So thinking about what that is, because most times you can start to figure out what people are wanting from you. It's not like you're going to be an artist for everything for everybody. Usually even you can tell like even going you know big here, even Monet paintings look very different than um I don't know, um uh, Picasso, right? Picasso had like cubism, Monet has a you know impressionist, Impression, yeah. you know? So there's just like you know what you get from certain artists. It's not like they're painting everything under the sun. You need to figure out what your artist voice is through your bestseller. I think yeah, that's so too. I, I had done like a VIP a VIP day with Cassandra. Uh, we'll link her link down below in the show notes. Um, and she's an artist. 
It's just watercolor. And she really understands like botany and like natural plant life of California. And so she paints that a lot. She paints, she paints birds, butterflies, actually bought you a piece um, from her and um, birds, butterflies, some flowers. And then there were some random things like a rabbit, things like that. Right. And now she paints one piece and she can obviously duplicate it and turn it into a, a greeting card or a print. But when thinking about what she's known for and what always sold really well for her, her butterflies sell really well. So what does that mean? That means that she should keep painting butterflies, even if they're one of a kind paintings. And obviously, if she really loves one, she could turn it into prints and that's how you duplicate it. It means that people want butterflies from her. And can she be known for butterflies? And then I think secondary was birds. Um, and then I think third, she was realizing like her cacti sold really well. And probably cause cacti was really trending as like an art piece on the wall for a while. So when you can, when you can see that it does not necessarily even the size of the product, even though, especially for art, like it depends on the size and like the cost of it all. So maybe her smaller pieces might sell more than a really large piece. That would be a couple thousand dollar investment. But I say this because I think when you're saying what the voice is, it's like she's not just a watercolor artist. She mm-hmm. specifically paints things that have a reason behind it, but also she can see that the customer is really attracted to a certain category of what she's painting. And like you're right, she uses a lot of color and the richness of the way she paints in watercolor Um it's very rich feeling. It's not as like light in terms of watercolor. So even that aesthetic would be something that drew a customer in. Yeah. And I think that now that she knows that, right, she knows that people want butterflies and they want birds, then she knows she's understanding, okay, these are my best sellers and they like it in this medium, which is watercolor with bright colors. And it might be where she starts talking about them more and developing stories. So When you're thinking about art, a lot of times an artist's voice and one of a kind, people like the story behind things, what the bird represents to them, what the butterfly represents to them, what the color represents to them. And I think that, you know, while Jacqueline and I are telling you, yeah, there is a bestseller out of there, that doesn't mean that we're pigeonholing you to only do butterflies and you're like a mass production factory cranking out (laughs) butterflies, you know, it's that you get to build this business how you want to. And the way that you do it is by using your skill sets as an artist to go down the path that your customer wants from you Mm -hmm. and that they're willing to buy from you. And that is how you become a profitable artist and one of a kind maker. So we saw this with another student. I, I don't remember her, her specifically, but she was doing like painted maps of, of the States and she was making all this other art, all types of art. But the thing that she kept selling and people kept requesting were these maps of the different States in, in the U S. And so that's another example. Could she be known for that? Now I get it. I'm an artist. I have my bachelor's in fine arts. Like I, I get it. I get getting bored and wanting to create and wanting to like, you know, be inspired by whatever it is and being an artist for art's sake. But you're, you're not just an artist for art's sake. If you are, then it's a hobby. If you are an artist that wants to sell your art to make money, then there is a crossover between that and then becoming a little bit more business minded where you're selling what people want. 
what they aspire to have. So even you and I, like we follow different artists on Instagram. Actually, your your um, sister works for a big artist. Yeah, she doesn't anymore. Oh, okay. um, she used to work for BJ Moore, which is a um, he does the Charlie Brown, the black Charlie Brown kids. He also does the uh, Monopoly. He does basically things that are in history. Um, but he puts black history to it. And he has a certain style, a certain story. I actually have a piece from him that's called um, um, Crown of Flowers. And um, she's wearing like a crown of flowers on her face and or on, on her head. And it her face, her expression tells a story of its own. And he does certain mediums. He He's known for out of the mud. And he is so profitable. You know why? Because he found his voice. And he, people started expecting this really... Um, painful but beautiful story of how um, of basically um, Black history woven into his pieces in a very gritty, painful way too. Like he has, like I said, out of the mud and everything. Now, God, um, I want to bring up this artist that I saw on TikTok. That can I just I just want to add on to his story really fast. So Mm -hmm. he he what you kind of went over and people don't understand, but the peanut characters. Uh-huh. Um, he painted them as black children, like black mm-hmm. characters, because right. that wasn't represented in in the peanut characters. What I thought was really interesting, and obviously he's moved on past that phase. He doesn't necessarily continue to paint them because he's truly an artist. But he does he, continue to paint them. Oh, he though. does. Okay. Yeah. But he created like little dolls as well that mm-hmm. he sold out yeah. of of the characters represented as black children and sold out. So he knows that, let's just say, taking pop culture or taking culture that was maybe represented in, like, um, without representing the black community, that then he decided to bring that in and then show it in a different way. So you actually know very decisively (laughs) if he is your artist or not your artist, if you're going Mm -hmm. for that or you're not going for that, right? Um, And so it's just – it's very much represented as something. So when you ask how do you find a bestseller – you become known for something. So yeah. Cassandra can be known for the person who really understands like um, flora and fauna of California and people, and especially Californians, there's enough of us here that, or people who moved away and they wish that they could take a part of California with them, that they would then know, okay, Cassandra has what I want. Now there's going to be the French people who just like a, a painting for painting's sake, but she just has a voice and you know why you're going to her. And that's how you start to grow art. So tell us about this TikTok artist. So if anybody knows who I'm talking about, he went viral for this and he's an Asian guy. Okay. So this is what he would sell. So he went viral for these um, white ceramic fortune cookies. They went wild. Like he would leave them around the city. He was an artist. He was a ceramicist. But he went viral for these fortune cookies. And when I went to his site to go buy them, he would come out with like drops of them. And it was like four for $22. Oh my gosh. Four for $22. And then... Not only that, he kept that price the same and he was very vocal about that. He wanted it to be accessible to everybody. He got thousands of orders and he basically burned himself out. And now he's just like, this is my last time I'm doing this. He was really artist for artist's sake. It took every piece of me to be like- Not to coach him? 
not to coach him, especially him being an Asian guy, because you could tell there was mindset issues happening. He was very much of the fact that he had become an artist and there was a love and pain that needed to be part of his process. And he wasn't willing to raise his prices. It sure didn't seem like it, but also he took a very hard stance against people who charge too much for their art. And I think that that's a whole disservice to the entire industry of art, you know? And, you know, because it's like, he was very vocal about that. I can't believe people charge this much. I really believe that you shouldn't even be charging for shipping. Hello, have you ever run a business? You absolutely need to be charging. And as an artist, if you ever want to be anything besides art for art's sake or a starving artist, then you actually have to put on your business hat. And it was really hard for me to watch. Like I had to like unfollow him because he was so against being a profitable artist. Now, for all of you that are out there listening, we have seen so many successful artists that have changed the world because they've done a service of bringing their art to the world. And I want you to really think about that for yourself, that you're not bringing your art out there to the world to be accessible in the way that you're just giving your art away for free. You are, you, you are allowed to make money from your art. And you should make money from your art. And so I just wanted to say that for that artist out there, maybe he'll hear me eventually <laughs> in the, <laughs> the World Wide Web. But it was hard to watch him burn himself out because he was stuck mentally in a loop that he needed to not make money as an artist. Hey friend, I'm just gonna interrupt this episode really quickly as it's podcast recommendation time. This month, we're all about creator science hosted by Jay Klaus, which is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Creator science goes behind the scenes with today's top creators by learning how these creators make a living with their art and creativity. Creator Science helps you gain the tools and confidence to do the same. In one of his latest episodes, Jay interviews Tori Dunlap, the founder of Her First 100K, to help women fight financial inequity by giving women actionable resources to be better with their money. They discuss Tori's journey and how she went about being able to write her first book. It was such an inspiring episode. I'd love for you to take a listen. So... Listen to Creator Science wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show. Hey, hey, product boss. Okay, it's your product biz coach here, Jacqueline, and I have a treat for you. So the other day, we got a message on Instagram from our friend, Lolly. Now she's a product boss and she was on the hunt for an easy to use inventory management software to keep track of her raw goods and what she had ready to sell. And guess what? We had an answer for her. Not only did we have a fantastic inventory management software to refer her to, but we also had a whole treasure chest of 308 other business tools and resources to make her product-based business easier to manage and, and more efficient to grow. And we have it for you as well. Now picture this, packaging and printing supplies, affiliate management, website and email software, legal resources, video and photo tools. Oh my, you name it, we've got it. 
And here's the cherry on top. It is totally free, right? It's not gonna cost you a single penny. That's right, because you can get your hands on the Product Boss's Ultimate Resource Guide absolutely free. We are on a mission to change small businesses' lives and, and their ability to grow around the world. And whatever we can do to help you do that, we are here for it. And so we're hoping that this resource guide is one step closer to reaching your dreams. So all you need to do is slide into our DMs on Instagram with the word guide and just send us that message and we will send you a link to download it right away. Or you can head straight to theproductboss.com slash resource guide. Easy peasy. Oh, and did I mention you can also DM us guide on Instagram and voila, we'll shoot you that link right away. So my friend, don't wait another second. You can get your hands on the ultimate resource guide for product bosses right now. Now let's jump back into the show. I think, and, and also if you get caught in the Etsy mindset, because there are a lot of artists or, or custom or, you know, people who have created something and in the Etsy mindset, because there also is the world of Etsy where you look at what other people are making and you make it yourself and try and sell it, but then they price compete on like, how can I make mm. that cheaper versus being the place? I know when I came out with Cuffs Couture, which was my product business, I couldn't trademark the name because it was too descriptive. But I remember what I had said was, I just want to be like the Kleenex of cuffs. I know it's so funny because it came and it went. But like Kleenex was a name for tissues, um, but they were first to market. So then even if you bought a generic brand, you might still call it, can you pass me a Kleenex, right? And so I just wanted it to be that people saw it and they thought, oh, whether I ever got knocked off or more people made it, they were, they were like, oh, is that a Cuffs Couture? Oh, no, it's my version of it or something like that. So I think the thing is, is that especially when you're kind of first to market or you're trying to take a position on something, it is important to establish yourself as the brand for it. I think people also, well, okay, I'm not going to get into that part. So we talked a little bit about, um, we talked about artists we were kind of leaning into customer one of a kind. So getting back into the one of, one of a kind subject conversation, if you're making objects, so one of a kind vases, one of a kind pieces of jewelry, one of a kind t-shirts or one of a kind clothing, not even going to say t-shirts, one of a kind clothing, but you know that you sell more t-shirts that are one of a kind, or you sell more jean jackets that you're customizing or um, jewelry, you know that you sell more necklaces and I would take it a step further and ask you what kind of necklaces. And you might say big, chunky gemstone necklaces. Okay. Or leather um, stamped necklaces, right? Cause we've even had people that are like, oh, but I, it has to be custom. They're leather stamped or what is it? Hand stamped. But there's people have the same, there's only 26 options here, but there's definitely more popular letters than others. Right. Yeah. But what I'm just trying to say is first, I think identify the type of category of product that you're making, because it goes back to the idea of the artist too, is that you're going to, then you want to make more one of a kind chunky necklaces, more one of a kind, you know, 18 inch tall vases, right? They can all look different, but you know, people want the taller vase versus the shorter vase. So if you think about your product lineup and you think, well, a lot of people go for that, then I think it helps you start to define 
what your category is or what your product is. And then what Mina was talking about, and, and so then there's the idea of custom. So some of you are doing custom. So if we go to the necklaces, like the stamp necklaces, you might say, well, I stamp necklaces and you can put anything you want on it. It can say mama. It can say your kid's name. It could have numbers. It could have a sentence, right? They're custom. How can I possibly scale or grow my custom business? So then do you want to jump into that part? Yeah. I think with that one, you present what the offers are. So let's say you, you know, there's still like, I'm certain there's ones that say mama, or maybe it's like kid's name or whatever, but there's also ones that are like, um, astrology based and uh, made for Mary, made by Mary, sorry, made by Mary is a good example of a jeweler that has a huge following. And she does mostly gold jewelry that's hand stamped, but they have a easy to follow path that their customers are able to take. So it's not like I can go there and be like, Hey, I just want anything. Well, I can look at it. Do I want a long gold bar? Do I want a circle or yeah, a circle? Do I want a small circle and a little circle? Do I want a hanging bar? You know, um, do I want, um, you know, there's so many different things for gold stamped necklaces she's able to kind of minimize the decisions by showing and offering what the best sellers are. So she knows that, okay, the long bars are really, what those are what put her on the map. I actually have one of her necklaces and it says Surrey Hart Layla, which are my daughter's names. And so she was able to show the most common font, for example, and show that this is what it is. Or maybe it is a mama one, like you said, and that she could build stock on that. And that could be off-the-shelf items. Or it's um, a circle one, which she did come out with. And then later on, she came out with oval ones that had, like, flower prints on there. And I wanted to get, like, this one, like, uh, water lily on there, you know? And so as you can see, there's still, like, you're still breadcrumbing your customers towards something, even if it's custom. You, what is that thing where like it's from that Greek wedding. What's that Greek wedding? My big fat Greek wedding? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, exactly. You just forgot big the big fat, fat part. <laughs> I'm like, I know it's something Greek and wedding. <laughs> My big fat Greek wedding. Part of the movie, she says, it is the wife's job to be the neck and <laughs> oh my God, okay. really butchering the man, this. The man, the man thinks he's the head. But yes. the wife, the wife is the neck, and she moves the head. Yes, Something like that. So yes, I try to say and it in so, <laughs> so your customers think they're making the decisions, but you're the neck that is showing them which way to look, right? Which mm-hmm. way to decide? And so it makes it easier because you already know tried and true what most customers like. And that way you can start operating like a bigger business that's very profitable by not just having everything for everybody as a custom one of a kind, but you're able to tell your customers what they want and you know them better than they know themselves because it's like 80% of our people love this, for example. Mm -hmm. 100%. People want you to tell them what to buy. And a lot of times they want to know... what other people are buying. That's why they want to know what a bestseller is. And that's why they want to know what a um, customer favorite is. Because if they're new to you, they it's hard for them to make a decision. And they're like, well, what is what are other people going for? It's the same way that <laughs> I'm that annoying 
you know, patron at a restaurant where a waiter comes over and I'm like, what do you recommend? Right. And then they might have a totally different palate than me. And I'm like, none of that's helpful or, (laughs) (laughs) or it's all helpful. Um, and then I'm like, oh, I'll just take that. Right. That suggestion makes a lot of the unhelpful because I've been with you where they're like, oh, I don't know. That's good. And that's good too. And they have no opinions. So it's like meeting that, let's say, quote unquote, business owner that has no path for you to take, you know, which is the You go up and you're like, you're like, Hey, so what do you recommend? Like what, like I have to buy a gift for my mom. Like, what do you recommend? And they don't, they're like, well, they give you a whole bunch of whatever, or they say to you, well, customers love these. They really love the gold, the gold, you know, 18 inch chain with the, with the bar and they, and you could stamp your mom's name on it or, you know, her initials or whatever. And you'd be like, that's a great idea. Or, "Mm, I don't know. She doesn't really wear gold to her silver. Cool. We have it in silver too. So the more I think that you all get to know your customers and you pay attention to their behavior, you pay attention to what they're looking at, reaching for, what you're selling more of. I don't care if you've sold three pieces, 300 pieces. I don't care how many pieces you've sold. Especially if you're in person, you're going to get a lot of kind of like feedback that you'll be able to watch. And I want you to pay attention to that. And so the question goes back to like, how do you grow this, this custom, you know, one of a kind business. And I think it first goes to what you and I teach, which is discovering your best seller. And so for all of you, it might be your best selling category or your best selling essence or voice of your brand, right? The, the, I'll go back to the word category because whether it's maps or butterflies or um, Charlie Brown characters or chunky necklaces or tiny little toe rings, I don't care what it is. If you kind of know that's what they go for, that's the thing you want to make more of. That's the thing you want to put out in front of people. So it's not like, oh, they really love a chunky chunky necklace. I'm now going to make a chunky bracelet. No. Make more chunky necklaces, right? They want the necklace. Keep selling them the necklace. Do not get confused and think you're going to come out with something else. Oh, they love butterflies. I'm going to start painting groundhogs. No, right? Like stay with what they're telling you. You want to sell something until they don't want to buy it anymore. I want you to be sick of it before your customers are sick of it. And when your customers are sick of it, it means that it will have sold and sold and sold and sold. And then sales start to decrease. Going back to the Juicy Couture tracksuit. You think that those two people wanted to make another velour tracksuit? Think back to the 90s, my friends. We all had one. No, they didn't want to make it. But for $200 million, they sold that company off of velour tracksuits that have made a recent comeback. So they were over it, but customers still wanted to buy it. So you better keep selling the things customers want to buy. If you've got a home run, keep it going. Just in Until your own you version, hit your first million. Like yeah, seriously, let's get you to a million dollars. Yeah, let's let's put a target on it. First million, you know, because the thing is, is like, you know, you know how we're big fans of Farm Rio. So I wore one of my Farm Rio dresses out and I was going to Sephora, which is in Kohl's, right? And one of the girls at Sephora was like, oh my God, I love your dress. What is it? I was like, it's Farm Rio. Um, it's like, they do like resort wear and they're really cool. They're really cool brands. And she even, she was like, what is it again? What Rio? And I was like, Farm Rio. It astonishes me with how much I talk about Farm Rio, how much you talk about Farm Rio, the amount of people that don't know about Farm Rio. Mm-hmm. And, and how so- many millions of dollars they make. 
Exactly. And it maybe you may be thinking like, oh, there's everybody knows about my brand. And the Farm Rio people might be thinking, oh, everybody knows about my brand. There's 350 million people in the United States alone. You better believe that only like 1% of them has probably heard of even Farm Rio, you know? So I think for all of you, when you're thinking about, oh, I'm sick of talking about this, talk to us again after you've hit a million dollars. Because then maybe that's when you start thinking about, oh, okay, should I expand on my brand or whatever it is? But until then, you could, should just keep on selling the same things that you've been selling that people want. Because there's probably, for example, you know, even though I have like a butterfly butterfly piece, for example, from Jacqueline, right? That doesn't mean that I'm not going to buy another one. That doesn't mean that I won't know other people that will want a butterfly um painting, you know, just goes to show you that there's so many people out there that don't even know that she offers butterflies or birds, right? Yeah. And they, they might not even care about the story even so, right? Because they might like the object. I, I want to bring up, because I was just recently in Nashville. I don't know if I even told you, but I went by Ann's store. Did I tell you? Uh-uh. Okay. So Yearly Co., she was one of our very first mastermind students, is Anne of Yearly Co. out of Nashville. And Mina and I, and she messaged us and she's like, we were instrumental in her growth because when we first started working with her, she was selling gold jewelry um, and she had like a $750,000 a year. And within six months, she got to $2 million after taking like the advice that we gave her. And I mean, she's buying, she, she has an amazing business. Okay. She doesn't make this stuff anymore. She's got a team of jewelers. She's got people running her store. Um, I didn't even see her because she was with her kiddos while somebody else was, people were running her store, not, not one, people. So she truthfully, it was kind of a, a, she's a custom business. She still is a custom business. She makes uh, bangles, gold bangles for every year of your, um, like, and hand hammered ones, hand truly hammered. like artist, you know, all handmade bangles. And she was making rings and necklaces and all this stuff before we started. But what she did is, and sure, sure, she was close to a million dollars, but she was selling solid gold. So that already raises the price point. But when she really took the shift was when she leaned into what are people buying? They're buying the bangles. So she doubled down on the bangles. She stopped trying to sell the rings and the earrings and the necklaces and all that stuff. And at that point, and she went back to her bangles and she came up with lots of variations, a skinny twist, a thick twist, a skinny plain band, a thick band, one that you could add diamonds or semi-precious stones to, ones that you could add um, your name to, um, all sorts of all sorts of ones. She came up with birthstone ones. So it was all these different variations. They are still custom. When I went to the store, the majority of the stuff in the store was not to walk out of the store with. It was not like off the shelf, I'm going to buy a gold bracelet and leaf, like a typical jewelry store. Most of it was customized and people who came in, it was a little bit treated like a showroom and people who came in were going to place an order for a custom piece of jewelry. And she has scaled to millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And she did do that first with the bangles. And now, now, like Mina said, you get to your first million. Now, sure, she's brought um, bracelets in, or necklaces and earrings and rings. She's a full jewelry brand. But the thing that grew her was custom bangles. Also sizing. You you get a sizing kit. You put them on your arm and you decide what size you are. So this wasn't like an easy sort of thing, but she just leaned in and was known for something. And then the people, and then 
And then people are like, yeah, that's what you go to her for. That's what you go to her for. So I hope that this all inspires you in thinking about your business in a different way and not getting so stuck in a one of a, I only, like if she was like, well, I only, I sold that one JS bracelet to Jacqueline. So that was custom. I can't scale it. No, she was like, oh, monogrammed bracelets sell well. They're still custom, but I am just going to promote it and market it and sell it and be known for it. And then that was the thing that grew her business. Yeah, for sure. So Jacqueline said that the thing that you do, so the answer to this question is, is that you identify what your bestseller is. It's what we teach you. That's what we've taught our multi-stream machine students. And then what do you do? You focus on it. You prioritize it. So once you discover what it is, and this is going to be the resistance part for some, from some people is that, but how do I focus on it? So we just taught you all the ways, how you focus on it. And then you prioritize it, meaning that, okay, this is my, you know, category that I really want to lean into. So I'm going to show it in, you know, my bestsellers section. I'm going to talk about it more. I'm going to, um, talk, get, get customer reviews. I'm going to do offerings around it, all those different things that really show that you're focusing on your best sellers. And um, even though they're, they're custom, there is a bucket that it's falling into, right? And you focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that this is clarifying and helpful to all of you. If you're not already following us over on Instagram, follow us at The Product Boss. Send us a DM. Let us know if you, if you are an artist, one of a kind, and tell us in the DM what you think your category could be. I'd love for that to be your homework. Listen to this. Think about like, okay, I'm still custom one of a kind, but I think that I can be known for X and shoot us a DM. We want to know. Thanks everyone. Thank you for being here and listening all the way through the product boss podcast. If you love our show and it has helped you in any way in your business, would you mind doing two things for us? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Reviews help other product entrepreneurs know that this is the place to be to grow their businesses and realize that they're not alone. And we know that you all know that a five-star and honest review helps you sell more products to more people. So you know that your reviews help us reach more listeners around the world. Remember, what we give is what we receive, and we are all about helping each other in the Product Boss community. We are all in this together. We would be so appreciative of you if you could take the time right now to subscribe, leave a review, and even share this episode on social or someone you know so we can impact more lives. And remember, subscribing means that you will get notified each time we release a new episode so you never miss a thing. You have helped us grow and climb into the top 10 of all marketing podcasts, and together we can keep climbing. Thank you, friends. And remember, there is room at the top for all of us.